0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we bow before you again with thankful hearts. Knowing that you are our Father and that you have created us for the very purpose of worship, so we bow before you, humbly asking that you would be pleased to meet with us this day, that your Spirit might give us wisdom and knowledge from above, That he might give us understanding of these things that we will look at today to think upon who our God is and all that our God has done and our God is doing. We pray that our comprehension of who you are may increase this day so that we might more adequately worship you and serve you. And that you might use us, Father, to bring honor and glory to your name. We know that you are all-powerful. That you are working all things out according to your purpose. And that you are growing us to be more Christ-like. And we pray, Father, that that would take place this day. Father, we come knowing that we are weak individuals. And that unless we are abiding in Christ, we can do nothing to please you. Pray, Father, that you would use your messenger to preach your truth, hide him behind the cross, give him the strength and wisdom to be able to rightly divide your word. Pray for those unable to be with us. You know their reasons and needs, and we pray that you minister to them and bring them back to us quickly. And this we pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, and we will again read verse 13. Matthew 6, verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We come to the last part of verse 13, already having looked two times at the first two parts of this particular petition that we have before us, and we see that the Lord's Prayer ends in a doxology. Now, I believe that this particular phrase that we have should be included here in Scripture, even though there are some earlier manuscripts that omitted, but there are also older manuscripts that include it. I believe it was original. Jesus gave this with the Lord's Prayer. As R.C. Sproul says, I think this is one of the most important portions of the Lord's Prayer, if not the most important portion of the Lord's Prayer. And I agree with him. And you will see why as we look at this sermon and see this particular phrase that we have. I know some of your Bibles do not even have it in it. I would encourage you to include it. Just write it in there because I think it belongs there. One of the reasons I believe it belongs there and I believe that Jesus included it is because the Jews always ended their prayers in a doxology. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus had been taught how to pray and Jesus himself, I believe, included it. Also, a doxology gives God glory, and the Lord's Prayer begins with God as our Father, and we see that it is very appropriate that God end, or the prayer ends with God as well. Jesus is revealing that every petition of the prayer that we have looked at has God's kingdom, power, and glory in view. That God whom we call our Father is all-powerful and He deserves to be praised. He deserves to be glorified. He deserves to have our full attention because of who He is. We are His creatures and we are to give Him praise. And every part of this prayer that is given to us is to bring glory to our Heavenly Father who is in Heaven. For it is our Father... Who gives us our daily bread? It is our Father who forgives us our sins and debt. It is our Father who gives us strength to overcome temptation and deliver us from evil. So all glory goes to our Father. Each and every day, He should receive glory. Each and every day, we should praise Him. For He provides us bread. He provides us pardon and divine protection. And as we think upon these truths, it should encourage us to have confidence that God hears our prayer and God also answers our prayers. Now, children must hear us pray these things. As we've looked at this particular prayer, we have seen that it is an outline that we are to follow in our prayer life. And when we have our family worship time with our children, they should hear us pray pray these things that we have looked at. Now, when this happens, God will provide. And we need to take note of that and we need to talk about how God provides. And therefore, as they see God providing for us as a family, their faith likewise is strengthened and they are encouraged to be faithful in their own prayer life and following the example of their parents. Dr. Doug Kelly, who was at RTS and is retired now, of course taught here on the campus of RTS for a number of years. Over 30 years ago, he spoke about a situation that he had a financial need that he had. And he said on that Saturday night, he called his family together and he shared that financial need with his family. And they prayed for that financial need. And on Monday morning, he received a check in the mail for $500, which met that need plus more. Now, of course, the check evidently had already been sent, Because if they prayed for it on Saturday night, you know the mailman doesn't run on Sunday. If it was put in the mail on Saturday, then we know that it had to be done early. And God had already providentially ordained that. But again, we see that God uses our prayers to move him to do what he has providentially planned to do. And that encouraged his children. And he said that his children to this day continues to call him when they have a particular need in their life as children and ask their dad, Dad, please pray for this particular need. So we must likewise do the same, follow that example. And when God answers our prayers, we need to share that with our family as a whole. Now the Lord's Prayer was ultimately given to honor and glorify God. The first catechism asks the question, what is the chief in the man? And all of you should know the answer to that, that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And one of the ways that we do this is by looking to God to answer our prayers. We go to Him in prayer, and if we go to Him in prayer, then what? Then we are expecting Him to answer our prayers, are we not? I mean, do you go to God in prayer and not expect Him to answer it? If you're doing so, then you are praying faithless. We must pray in faith, knowing that God is a God that is able to hear our prayers and answer our prayers according to His will. And indeed, we know that when He does so, it brings glory to His name. Now, as He displays His glory, not only in our life, it also is displayed to others that He is a true and living God. And therefore it encourages others as well to pray. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that teaches us that prayer and praise goes together. They must never be separated. When we come to our Heavenly Father in prayer, we also come praising Him. This doxology to our divine, divine Father also teaches us to back up our request with scriptural reasoning. Scripture, as we have looked at on Wednesday night, is full of prayer. And God wants us to pray scripture back to Him. He wants us to pray His promises back to Him. And when God promises us something and He says, pray according to my will then we are assured that He will answer that prayer. Now that doesn't mean that prayer will always be yes, but it does mean that He will answer that prayer. So therefore we are to ask Him to fulfill His promises that He has made to us, knowing that He desires to fulfill His promises that He's made to us. And He takes great delight in not only hearing our prayers, but graciously answering them according to His will. I've said many times, as I've already mentioned this morning, that God uses our prayers to move Him to do that which He has already ordained to do. Now again, we may not fully understand that, but yet we know that it's taught clearly in Scripture, and we accept it by faith. Now of course we must realize that there's nothing in us or from us which is notorious. We know that there is our hope must be grounded only in Christ, in Christ alone, and in the character of God. His perfections are not temporary, but as the prayer tells us, they are forever. Now, that's the introduction to our sermon, and I want us to think about this doxology, and how it should give us great confidence in our prayers as we offer them to God, and how He hears and answers the prayers of His children. Again, we see that throughout Scripture. One of the reasons we have Scripture is to encourage us in how God operates in this world, how God has operated in the past, how God is operating in the present, and how God will operate in the future. This doxology is a confirmation that our prayers are heard and answered according to the excellency of God, according to who He is, And it is a declaration of what belongs to God, His attributes, which is expressed in this short phrase, For thine is the glory and the power, I mean, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now first, we all learn this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, by saying, For thine, right? Even though most of our translations probably says for yours, we learned it for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In the modern translation, if that phrase is included in your Bible, the word is probably yours. Now, of course, yours and thine means the same thing, does it not? But I think using thine does something. Now, what does it do? I think thine causes us to think about God more. Causes us to have more reverence. Now, I know we live in a day when everyone wants to get rid of the "thou's" and the these and the thines. Change them because we think that they're archaic. Since we don't speak Elizabethan English, uh, Shakespearean English anymore, but there's something unique about what we call this archaic language. If you think about it, we enjoy hearing this archaic, this old English at weddings, don't we? I mean, when you go to a wedding, don't you prefer to hear the old English translation? Or even as we approach Advent season? Reading the Christmas story, doesn't it do something when you hear the old English? If you watched any of the funeral of Queen Elizabeth laid at rest there in Westminster Abbey, the King James was read 14 times, and it was beautiful. It was moving to hear that English stated. When you go to a funeral home, What music is usually played in the background as you're there? Usually classical, right? Bach, Beethoven, others. Why? Because it seems more reverent, right? It seems more God-honoring, exalting the name of God. And I think we must understand that when we come to worship, that it's a time of, of reverence, to hence enhance who God is, to exalt God. It appears that so many so-called worship services today have geared up to having a good time, friendly seeker services. We have to remember that worship is not for the lost people. Worship for Christians. And we come together reverently to seek Him. We don't come here to please the flesh, to be entertained. No, we come here so that our soul might be fed. Christians gather together to worship the thrice holy God who is other, who is simple. You have studied that in Sunday school recently who has stated in Scripture what honors Him and what brings glory to Him. So we should do all that we can to bring ourselves into the presence of God reverently, not flippantly. I remember years ago when I was living in Brookhaven, a friend of mine, childhood friend, lived there and he had married someone who was a Catholic and there would be times that I would go over and I would talk to her and talk to her about the difference and uh, who we were as Baptists and who they were as Catholics and we had some good conversations and one time I was talking to her. She would go to the Baptist Church, matter of fact. Uh, She'd also go to the Catholic Church and she shared with me, she said, you know, one of the things I don't like about the Baptist church. And I said, well, what's that? She said, it's not very reverent. It's so casual. And I understood what she meant. I'm thankful to God that later God did truly save her and she even became a member of a Baptist church. But she was right. Often Baptist churches are so casual. They're not seeking to exalt God. My point is worship involves the mind. We must prepare ourselves to meet the living God. We see in Exodus chapter 19 when they were preparing, God told Moses, you remember, said, uh, this is what you tell the people. As he was to give the Ten Commandments, you go down and you tell the people to prepare theirself. He gave a boundary. Don't come any closer than this to the mountain. He said, uh, cleanse yourself and do all of these different things. What? To meet God. And I think we learn from that passage how important it is how we must do all that we can to meet God. Prepare our minds. Have the right fry, frame of mind because we want to do everything we can to honor God and do what God requests of him, exalt his holy name. See, in a formal setting, a person wouldn't speak to the president by using his first name. The formal use of pronouns is built into the language to do what? To show respect. Mr. President is what they say in a formal situation. Now why do we as Southerners teach our children to say, yes sir, no ma'am, How do we do that? To show respect for those who have authority. So let us be faithful in showing God our Heavenly Father the honor and respect that is required of us. We are here today to worship, and worship is a mark of spiritual adoration, reverence. We should come before God, humbly bowing before Him, paying homage to Him. I don't agree with those who say, well, using archaic language makes God appear Approachable. So we need to use more familiar language so that God seems more accessible to men. As often said, familiarity brings contentment. Let us never allow our worship to be such. Hebrews teach us come boldly into the presence of God. And Paul says that we can go, call God Abba Father. But these are not teaching us that we can come casually into the presence of God. The archaic personal pronouns help to remind us that God is one who is holy and is to be worshipped in that manner. Second, the word kingdom reveals what God possesses and has the right and authority over. He orders all things according to His good purpose, of His good pleasure, and that even includes us. He controls us as individuals. See, it's not our kingdom it's, it's not your kingdom it's not my kingdom what it is god's kingdom he owns it and who has the father given all authority to well jesus said and he spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth god does not rule by majority vote no God rules by His own sovereign will, carrying out His eternal plan, that which is His good will, as Paul says in Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. God reigns over all, and He does not share His authority with anyone. He's given us His Word, and He commands us to submit to what He has told us. He's given us His Ten Commandments to be obeyed. They're not ten suggestions, as so many people act as if they are. They are ten commandments, that they are to be obeyed. They are absolute. He's growing His kingdom according to His decreed will, not our desire. He's planned it all out. And Paul reveals God's sovereignty, even in salvation there in Romans chapter 9, knowing how sinful man is and what man would think as he shared about God's sovereignty, he says to us, beginning there in verse 14, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not, Paul says. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will show compassion to whom I will show compassion. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor him that runs, but to God who shows mercy. For the scripture said to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared to all the earth. Therefore he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens. The prophet Isaiah said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace of the increase of His government and the peace from which be no end upon the throne of David and upon His kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. For henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Clearly that God rules sovereignly over all things. His governing Is backed by his all sufficient power. So by his sovereignty, he brings about whatever he has ordained. Authority is one thing, but power, another. God possesses both. And this should encourage us and motivate us to pray, asking Him according to His will, knowing that He has all authority and all power over His kingdom. So if God is able and willing, then should we not pray fervently for God to do that which we desire to do? And this prayer begins with Him as our Father and ends with Him as our glorious, powerful King. His fatherly affection shows that He is love and He is willing and His royal power reveals that He is able. Therefore, we have great confidence in knowing that His kingdom is growing And will come to full fruition. Now the primary focus here is his kingdom in particular and special. Revealing his relationship with his people called the saints, called the chosen, called the elect. Those that he brings into his kingdom. And he has given them power by his Holy Spirit. And He guides them by His Word and His Spirit. So therefore, we have confidence. And it's a great encouragement to know that our God is this great, that He has absolute power, that He has absolute right, and that He's able to fulfill all of His promises. For He shall not fail, but He will fulfill all of the petitions that we have studied. Now, the third word is power, and it speaks of God's ability to execute His authority, His right to do, in other words, as He pleases in heaven and in earth, as we see. It's connected to the kingdom that we just talked about, the work of the kingdom that He is bringing about. Now, this word power in the Greek is duomos, which means we get our word dynamite. Dynamite is explosive, and that's what it's speaking of. This is explosive power. God has not only a kingdom, but He has that explosive power to rule over His kingdom for what is good according to Him. I mean, if, you have, if you're going to rule and you have no power, what good is that? Well, God rules and He has the power to rule. So, God's kingdom is accompanied with His all sufficient power. He has the right to command all things. No creature is too hard for Him to defeat or to overcome. We just read a moment ago about Pharaoh. He said, I raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose. Pharaoh continued to harden his heart. And he got to a point to where the scripture actually says that God hardened his heart. He had resisted God so often that God finally said, Okay, you're going to do that. I'm going to even increase it to where you even do greater things that are evil. And eventually even to the point to where Pharaoh lost his own son. As I mentioned last week, we call this judicial hardening. That a man can get to a point to where he continues to harden his heart against God to where God eventually says, Okay, I'm turning you over to the own hardness of heart. Earthly kings, they have authority and power, but yet their authority and power is limited. But God has unlimited power, which is a great encouragement to us to go to Him And carry all our needs to Him. His power created all things from what, children? Nothing. Now, we can't comprehend that. I mean, we can't comprehend nothing. I mean, can you think of nothing? When you think of nothing, what do you think of? Something. But God created all things for nothing. And He rules over all that He has created. And He established heaven and earth and He created man and is able to change man. He's able to change the heart of man and raise him from the spiritual deadness. The psalmist says, My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. And God fulfills His promises as Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto Him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all things that we ask or think. Did you hear what Paul says? God is able to do above whatever we ask or think. More than we even ask or think. We may go to God and say as Matthew 7, 2 says, Lord, if Thou will, canst make me clean. Don't worry, you're sinful, and you think that you cannot be saved. You may even begin to question, well, am I really elect, or am I non-elect? Well, Scripture teaches us that God is good and gracious and ready to save. So you don't question whether I'm elect or non-elect. You cry out to God to save you. As Charles Spurgeon says, at the front of heaven it says, Whosoever will. When you cross underneath the entranceway and you look back, it says, Chosen before the foundation of the earth. What do we dwell on? We are to dwell on whosoever will come to the Lord and be saved. We must believe in his power to save the unconverted. Isaiah 59 1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. Sometimes people act as if God's arm is too short to save. It's act as if God's ear is unable to hear. And Isaiah is telling us just the opposite. That God is able to hear, and that God is able to to reach down and save the sinner. Jesus says, All whom the Father has given me will come to me. Again, Paul continues there in Romans 9, 19 through 21. You will say to me, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God with a thing formed? Say to the one that formed it, why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay, from the same lump of one vessel of honor and another of dishonor? God is able to do his will with man. And we know that God is able to save sinners from their sin and we see that his power and his glory is displayed in daniel 4 34 through 35 it says at the end of the time of nebuchadnezzar he lifted up his eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me and i blessed the all high most high and praised and honored him who lives forever For His dominion is everlasting dominion and His kingdom is from uh, generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to His will in the armies of heaven and according to the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand nor say to Him, What have you done? Who was that saying that? That was never who was an evil king at the beginning of his life. Listen to what one uh, commentator says. After the first dream, Nebuchadnezzar respected God's wisdom. After the firmness, Nebuchadnezzar respected God's loyalty. And then after this period of madness, remember God made him mad. He went out into the fields and ate grass like a cow, It says, after this madness and loss of title and humility, he respected God's power. It only then that we see Nebuchadnezzar became a true believer. So we see that each of these instances worked in Nebuchadnezzar's life, but not until the very last when God humbled him And cast him out into the field, and he lost all respect for his own power that God raised him up. In the New Testament, we see this same power. We see it. When God exploded the gospel in the face of Paul as he was on the road to Damascus. Who would have ever expected Paul, who was persecuting Christians and putting Christians to death, to ever be saved? They were scared to death of him. And we see that there in the book of Acts. When God tells them to go, my servant Paul. Wait a minute, wait a minute, God. Paul, the one that is persecuting Christians and killing Christians, you want us to go to him? They were totally shocked, but yet that's the power of God. My friend R.F. Gates, who's gone to be with the Lord, has been in our church before preaching. A tenor preacher, such a faithful evangelist. As he would go around, he would constantly hand out tracts. And I remember he would always say, you know, after he handed out a tract, especially when somebody was kind of... Smart aleck, and when he handed it out, he said, God, may it explode in their face. What was he saying? God, may it make that sinner who's rejecting you, who doesn't want you. may It cause them to see that they're a sinner and they need grace, that they need Christ, that they need salvation, explode in their face so that they might come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. We see, says, for the word of the Lord is... Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of the Lord is living and powerful and sharper than a double-edged sword, piercing even the vision of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thought and intent of the heart. It's God's word that is powerful. R.C. Sproul said, One of the greatest problems with the church today is that it is forgotten. That God has invested power in His Word. Churches look to programs and activities and magic and methodologies everywhere except to where God has placed it and that is in His Word. It's the preaching of the Word. Not all the other things that so many churches that do that bring people to Christ. And we must continue to be faithful to that task. God's power should encourage us of His might. For He made heavens and earth and all things from nothing. And He continues to bring about His will by His power. Fourth, the word glory. Another word of honor which belongs to God. For God is glorious glorious, speaks of His excellency, who He is, His attributes. When we see God, we naturally stand in awe of who He is. Just as Isaiah did there in Isaiah chapter 6, when he saw God, he said what? He saw himself as, as falling apart, coming apart at the scene, because he saw how holy God was, and he could not do anything but bow down and worship this God. He couldn't even speak because he saw the greatness and holiness of God, His glory. And likewise, when we see His glory, when we see who He is, our desire is to bring honor to Him, to esteem Him. We as a Reformed Baptist Church, we hold to the five solas, Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Jesus Christ alone and to God be the glory alone. To the glory of God alone, as the scripture says in Psalms 8, 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Children, question number five four. How can we glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. Fifth, why ought we glorify God? Because He made me and takes care of me. Some of you are musicians and you would play Jonathan, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach. I don't know if you've ever noticed, and maybe some of the copies that are made today At the bottom, do not have the initial. But when he would write a piece of music, at the very bottom, he would put S-D-G. Why would he write that? He would write it to remind himself as well as to remind others to God alone the glory. He wanted everybody to realize that it wasn't him. It was God, to God alone the glory. He always included the S sola. And this is how we are to see that God closes His prayer. To God alone the glory. And this is another ground for us to have great confidence that God has joined His glory and our good together. Praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, but he will not share his glory with another. See, that's what Satan came to Adam and Eve and tried to get them to think that God would share his glory. Wouldn't you like to be like God? You know, that's what he went and tempted them with. And of course, they fell for that temptation and Of course, they want it to be like God. But God does not share His glory with anyone. And they found that out. As well as Satan had found that out. It is to the Lord's praise that His servants are only truly blessed in this world. You realize that? Now, you look around and you say, oh, those people are blessed. No, they're not blessed. If they're unconverted, they're not blessed. They may have much, but they're not blessed. See, God stands upon the glory of His name. And He blesses His people. And nothing prevails with Him more than that truth, that He is glorious and therefore we can pray more freely and boldly to Him And give Him praise for who He is and His glory. We are unworthy to be heard. We're unworthy to be accepted. The only reason why we are heard and the only reason why we are accepted is because of Christ. Not anything that we did. It's all because of what Christ has done. And God is honored in choosing vile, cruel, contemptible things as us. Why does He do it? Well, to show forth the riches and the goodness and the power and the treasure of His glory that He would take such sinful creatures as you and me and make us acceptable in His sight by giving us the righteousness of Christ, by allowing us to come into His presence and and we pray for God's glory as Jeremiah 14, 7a says, O Lord... Though our iniquities testify against us, do it for your name's sake. Even though we're sinful, Father, use us for your name's sake. Use such sinful creatures of us and show your glory by using us. Isaiah 48, 9. For my name's sake, I will defer my anger. And for my praise, I will restrain it from you, so that I do not cut you off. You see what he's saying? He said, you know, I have every right to cut you off. I have every right to send all of you to an eternal hell. But for my name's sake, I don't do that. I don't allow my anger to destroy you and cast you in eternity into everlasting fire but instead I save my people from their sins. Finally, this doxology speaks of duration and eternity, forever. See, all excellencies which are in God, they're all eternal. He's infinite, simple, independent being, the cause of all things but caused by nothing. Therefore, He was from everlasting to everlasting. As the psalmist says in Psalms 92, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We know that God... Is not like man. God has no beginning and no ending. He's eternal. Again, we can't comprehend that. All we can comprehend is a beginning. Our minds can't go back further than a beginning. We can't comprehend that God is eternal both ways. Now, we look forward to living forever and ever, but we... Can't go back further than when we were born on this earth. But yet God is. As the psalmist says in 146.10, The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. See, if there ever was a time, now listen to this, children, if there ever was a time when God was not God, Then there was a time when nothing was. And then there would never be anything unless nothing could make all things. Let me read that to you again. If there ever was a time when God was not. Now the reason I say this is because that's what. A lot of people want to say there's no God. So if there ever was a time when God was not, then there was a time when nothing was. There was nothing. Now they will admit to that, right? Lost man will admit to that, that there was a time when there was nothing. Then there would never have been anything unless nothing could make all things. See, that's what the world tries to do. That's where they came up with evolution. They said there was nothing, and that nothing made all things. Which is ridiculous, folks. Totally ridiculous. And we need to show them their error. There had to be something. And that something was an eternal God. But God, being eternal and being glorious... And wherever God is in His original being in Himself, and he's, he's told us who He is, we have the attributes of God. Again, if you've never read the book Attributes of God, I believe st- we still have that book in the uh, book room. I think we've reduced it greatly. If you got it, I hope you've read it. Don't get it and not read it. I'll sick Miss Bunny on you. Read it. Read the attributes of God and read about who He is. But again, it's it's like what Calvin says when we talk about this as far as understanding God. God talks to us in baby talk. You understand what he's pointing out there? That we're like babies when we try to understand God. But yet that doesn't mean we can't understand Him to a certain extent. It just means that here on this earth, we're never going to understand Him. Like we need to understand Him. And guess what? Throughout all eternity... We will grow in our understanding of God. We'll always be growing in our understanding of God. There will never be a point when we're not growing in our understanding of God when we get into glory. But we see that His kingdom and power and glory are without ending, they were without beginning. And these are grounds for great confidence and dependent upon God when we come to Him in prayer. That God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He never changes. Whatever He has been to His people in the past, He is able to be that in the present and in the future. He is the eternal God, the God that is same. And He continues to do great things for His people. God lives forever to see the vengeance executed against those who reject Him. But He will save His people from their sins and He will destroy His enemies and He lives forever and He will bless His people forever with eternal life. And we see that this doxology is sealed with the word, Amen. An expression of our faith and our hope that He will do what He said He will do. Amen. Means, let it be. I agree. I desire it. So be it. It's a vow of faith in God. It shall be so. And our desire as a Christian is for God to rule and to reign in power and for His kingdom to be glorified forever and ever as Christ is upon the throne. As John Newton wrote those wonderful words, Glorious things of you are spoken Zion city of our God he whose word cannot be broken form you for his own abode on the rock of ages founded what can shake your sure repose with salvation's walls around it you may smile at all your foes all this is sealed up with that last word amen as revelations 3:14 says thus says the amen and the faithful and the true witness the beginning of the creation of God amen let us pray Our Father and our God, we join with the Apostle John in saying, Amen and Amen, that You are faithful, that You are all-powerful, that You are growing Your kingdom, and that You are glorious and eternal. Oh, we pray that we might know You, know You more fully. Love you more passionately. I pray, Father, for those that are here this day that do not have this desire in their heart. For they have never come to know you savingly. They have never come to know you in a personal saving way because they have never come to Christ in true repentance and saving faith how I pray that today would be that day that You, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, would work in their life and that You would bring them to know Christ as their Lord and Savior and turn from their sins. Do not allow them in their ignorance to continue to go down the path of destruction, but bring them to Christ this day for Your glory and Your honor. And may we as Christians, Father, be faithful to pray this prayer having great confidence in who our God is and what our God has done in the past and what our God is doing in the present and what He will do in the future. May we be people of prayer and faith. And it's in Christ's name that we pray.